We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. I'm here with U.S. Women's Champion Nazi Pakidzi. Uh, Coming off of uh, the Olympiad, she um, is an international master. Most of you listeners probably have heard of her. Great uh, young chess player in the United States. Uh, thanks for coming on, Nazi. Um, th- the way I usually like to start with my guests is uh, beginning with your childhood and how you got into chess. So I know that you uh, started playing chess in Georgia in the former Soviet Union. Um, why don't you take it from here and tell us about uh, your initial introduction to playing chess? Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, yes, I started playing chess in Georgia when I was five years old. My dad taught me how to play. Um, I think it's a tradition in Georgia that every family has a chess set at home, and the parents uh, teach the kids, and if kids are interested, then um, they continue on playing chess, uh, maybe even professionally. And I was one of those kids who just loved the game and I would not stop playing. All, all my free time, I was begging my dad to play more chess. And um, 
he loved playing me, but actually after I beat him when I was five and a half years old, <laughs> he didn't like to play me anymore. So he would take me to a nearby park. And just like um, I think in New York City, there's there's a park where they play chess, right? Yes. Uh, there are many similar parks in Georgia, and that's where I used to play and beat many older people, and I fell in love with the game. And then actually when I went to school in my first grade, uh, chess was part of the uh, curriculum. They used to teach chess at schools, and they teach it today too as well. And my my teacher, I guess, saw some talent in me and told my parents to maybe take it more seriously, find a professional chess coach. And that's what my parents did. And from there, I started competing in national events and traveling around the world and so on. Okay. I have a few questions uh, off of that. Mm -hmm. One, just out of curiosity, when they play chess in the park in Georgia, is it for money, as they often do here in the <laughs> U.S., or is it a more, more uh, pure love of the game thing? As I remember it was just for the game, but maybe they were playing for money with each other, more older men. Right. They didn't. Th yeah, they didn't play me a six-year-old for money. <laughs> okay. Well, that's reassuring. Um, and did was your dad a serious chess player? No, he also learned, I think, at school. And I think his level would be maybe 800 right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of the curriculum, as you know, I'm a chess teacher. So I'm, and I, part of the goal of this podcast is to help promote chess, get peop more people exposed to it, think more about ways to reach more people. So I'm just curious, uh, in a chess powerhouse like Georgia, if. I know that you were young, but do you remember or do you have any knowledge of how the curriculum was structured? Was it like in your classroom or after school? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I do remember it. It was not required for everyone, but um, so there are different uh, lessons besides chess, some that are not usual subject to most of the schools, and we had a choice to choose one of these classes. Uh, so an elective. Yes, it was an elective, but uh, it was every day. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah, it was every day. Um, it wasn't after school. It was just during, I don't remember exactly, of course, but it was a full 45-minute um, lesson. Wow, that's great to have that every day. That, that mm -hmm. would be great for kids here. Uh, don't think it's happening anytime soon, but you never know. Yeah. Um, so when they identified you as a, talented player. I know that historically in the former Soviet Union um, there was the Palace of Pioneers where kids would, would have state-sponsored um, study. I know that you grew up later than that, so I'm just curious if there was any government sponsorship or if your parents uh, paid for all of your chess improvement and instruction. Yeah, I think uh, that government sponsorship ended before I was born, so uh, my parents were paying for my uh, teachers and for my competitions. Yes. Okay, and you're uh, you're Russian by heritage, correct? Uh, not not true. No, my dad is Georgian. Okay. And my mom is, um, my mom's dad was Georgian, and her mom is Ukrainian. Okay. And do you have a sense for how it is or why it is that Georgian women in particular have had such incredible success um, on the international chess scene? 
You mean today or? Well, more historically. Historically, mm-hmm. I, I don't know historically why it was uh, why Georgian women, especially, were so successful. But I know why today so many Georgian women play chess. It's because of our historical women who have won world championships so many times. Nona Gaprindashvili and Maya Chiburdanidze, especially. And did you uh, uh, you yeah. heard about them a lot growing up? I gather. Oh, absolutely! I even had a chance to. They used to uh, come to schools and play simul with kids, and that was very encouraging. I remember I was six or seven years old when I played Nona Gaprindashvili first. Wow! And she was very nice after I played the opening very well. She just offered me a draw, and that was amazing for me. That, that I made a draw with Women's World Champion. Yeah, I'm sure that that lit a fire under you. Yes. Um, so moving forward to to you're continuing to play as a kid, and were you um, were you one of the top players in Georgia for your age group um, through the time you lived there? Uh, yes. So every Georgian Championship I played, I finished first or second every year. Wow, that mm-hmm. that's very good. And then. I understand you eventually moved to Russia, is that correct? Yes, when I was uh, 12, 12 years old, I moved to Moscow. My family moved to Moscow, and it was great for my chess as well, because uh, Moscow, I, I consider Moscow as the capital of chess in the world. So many great tournaments and great coaches and so many great players to work with, and that helped me a lot. My rating actually went from... I think about 2200 to 2450 in one year. Wow. After I moved to Moscow, yes. And was your move for chess-related reasons, Was it, or was it for your parents? Uh, no, it was actually for my brother. He was a soccer, professional soccer player, and um, he was playing for Moscow's national team. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Does he still play? No, he got uh, seriously injured when he was 18. And he couldn't play anymore, so now he is a soccer coach. Okay, that's impressive to have a, a professional chess player and a professional soccer <laughs> player in the, in the same yeah. family. <laughs> what are your parents' backgrounds? Uh, my mom um, has a master's in um, biochemistry, and my dad, I think, uh, auto engineer. Yeah. Wow, and they're they're athletes as well. No, actually, they're very far. They're both very far from soccer and chess. I mean, my dad liked the game and knew how to play. My mom still doesn't know how to play chess, actually. Uh, but they did everything for us. That's great. So yeah. you, they continued to get you coaches um, as you got older. Um, and when did you start to travel for for chess? Mm-hmm. Uh, my first international tournament was European Youth Championship in 2003. Okay. Actually, Magnus Carlsen was playing there too, under oh, age wow. four, 14 or 12, I think. Yeah, and... I'm just so... How, how, how old were you then? I was nine years old. Oh, okay. I was playing under 10, and some some girls already had ratings. I did not have rating at the time. And... I started phenomenally. I went seven out of seven and actually won the tournament two rounds before it ended. Wow. So you yeah. didn't, you didn't have a FIDE rating? Is that what you mean? Or any rating at all? Yeah, I think I didn't have a FIDE rating yet. Okay. but there, I, I got it after the tournament. Okay. But there was some sort of system to sort you and identify you as the one to represent Georgia? Or was it just... A, uh, 
Go to ahead. qualify to play at the European or World Youth Championship, you had to finish second or first in Georgian Championship. Okay. Was there a Georgian mm-hmm. rating system? I think so. It's difficult to remember. Yeah, I know, I know it was a long time ago. I don't remember very much from when I was seven or eight. Um, so moving forward, uh, what brought you to the United States? So at 16, I won European Youth Championship under 16. And the first prize was, was a scholarship at um, Texas University in Dallas. Um, you probably heard of the program UTD. Yes, yes. And that was the first time I considered coming to the U.S. because at, at the time I was a professional full-time chess player and I thought I lived in the perfect place in Moscow. Um, but I started considering it to try something else, go to college. And after I graduated from high school, I took uh, one year off and I played chess professionally and traveled a lot. And I realized that I want to try something else mm-hmm. besides chess. So that's when I decided to apply for a college in the U.S. And actually, I didn't end up going to UTD because um, I learned that there are many chess schools in the U.S. that offer chess scholarship. So I, I applied to different uh, universities and then chose Baltimore. I just wanted to be closer to the East Coast, I- to New York, and that's why I chose UMBC. Okay, I have a couple questions um, mm-hmm. based on that. So at 16, you considered yourself a professional chess player already? Yes. Were you? But you also mentioned you graduated from high school. So were you studying at home, or how how were you structuring your time? Yeah, I was homeschooled um, after middle school. Oh, wow. And I was just going to school uh, once a month or once in two months to pass the exams. Okay, and how much chess were you studying those days? Most of my days um, I was spending on chess, I would say six to eight hours. Okay, and how, how structured was the time? Uh, how, did you mm-hmm. know, how did you know what to study? Uh, well, I had uh, wonderful co- coaches always. In Moscow, uh, my coach was Vladimir Belov. Uh, he was actually a uh, Russian Ol- women's Olympics team coach for a couple years, so he was really great. And... I would have uh, chess sessions with him for four or five hours a day, and then I would have homework to work on by myself. Wow, that's intense. Did you? Yeah. Did you enjoy? Did, did you enjoy your life as a sixteen-year-old? Yes, I was extremely busy. It seemed like I never had any free time, but I loved what I was doing. So I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything else. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so getting to UMBC, uh, how many years did you spend there? Uh, I studied at UMBC for three years, and then I decided I was not studying what uh, I would love to do all all my life. My major was information systems, Mm -hmm. and decided to take a break. And actually, that's when I switched my federation and started uh, representing U.S., and played my first year's championship in 2015. Okay. And I finished second. And after that, uh, after that semester, yeah, I dropped out of college and came back to chess again. Okay. Um, how, 
I had a question for you relating. Sorry, I'm just. I lost my train of thought. Um, oh yeah, how does uh, switching federations like? What are the mechanisms of that? How did was this your own decision, or was, did someone approach you about it? Uh, it was a very long process, actually. So I was considering it, but I, I wasn't sure if um, I was going to stay in the United States and live here. So. I wasn't seriously considering it until they approached me from the UHS Federation and asked me if I would be interested to play for the U.S. And I like I like the uh, option I had in front of me, so I said yes, and I thought that would be easy to just transfer. But it took me two years to actually make the transfer um. because Georgian Chess Federation wouldn't let me go easily. Right. And there's the FIDE has some very specific rules. How if you have played for your national team uh, at the Olympiad or European or World Champion Team Championships, then your country has the right to not let you switch the federation for two years and something like that. And I was, of course, not aware of any of that. Right. Yeah, sounds like a, a lot of uh, red tape. Um, yes, and actually, at some point, I had given up hope that it would happen because it was taking so much time. And there's also some money involved. You have to pay FIDE, and you have to pay your country, your federation, and so on. And I had given up, and then I received an email one day, I think it was uh, August 2014 or September, that my transfer has been completed. Oh, <laughs> it was wow. completely unexpected. And then two months later, I saved invitation to my first U.S. Women's Championship. So it was really a great surprise. And was the two years up or was that rule? Uh, yes. So apparently two years was up and some other things I'm, I actually don't even remember anymore. I really had given up because there were so many things to it. Yeah, that does not sound fun. Uh, I, I don't know what your personality is like, but I think a lot of chess players struggle with... Uh, day-to-day daily tasks like paying bills and stuff like that and this <laughs> this sounds like that times 50 oh. uh, I'm actually quite the opposite I'm extremely organized and I have to have everything done perfectly and that's why I had given up on that because it was taking so much time and it seems like there was nothing I could do to have an impact on it right well so. I'm glad I'm glad that it worked out and when you thought about this did you feel like it was a commitment to live in the U.S. for a long time or just I'm going to, this is best for my career and I'll figure it out later? Uh, yes, so I was not required to live in the U.S. Like Anna Zatonsky does not live in the U.S. She lives in Germany but plays for the U.S. and has been for many, many years. So I like that I didn't have to commit to living in the U.S. forever but I thought that was a really good um, career move for, for me. Since I was not planning on going back to Georgia, my family lives in Russia, and I just didn't see myself ever playing for Georgian national team anymore. So it, it seemed like the right choice. What about the Russian national team? Yeah, actually, I had an offer in 2010 or 11 to switch federation and play for Russian federation, and I was very seriously considering it. Um, the Russian women have won Olympiad, I think, twice, and they're not only one of the best female players in the world. So I, would, I very much wanted to join them, 
but that was the time when I was considering to move to U.S. for college, and my offer to switch federations had some conditions that I would have to stay in Russia and plan the tournaments they would want me to play, and they would have assigned me a coach, and I would have to physically be there most of the time in Moscow. So that's why I wasn't sure that I wanted to commit to it at 16. Yeah, that makes sense. Was was there any sort of stipend involved, or was it just that they pay for your um, continued education in chess? Uh, they were mostly talking to my parents, actually, because I was 16. But as I remember, I would have uh, very strong coaches for free, and all my tournaments would have been sponsored. I don't think there was a stipend involved. Okay. And getting back to UMBC, so after three years, you decided to drop out. And was that in order to prepare for the U.S. Women's Championship? And I dropped out after the U.S. Championship, but okay. U.S. Championship happened in April, right before my finals and everything. So it was impossible to manage both college and uh, preparation for the U.S. Championship. And at the t I was already considering to drop out, of course, months before that it was not an uh, impulse decision so it just uh, worked out that I saw that I can still um, so when I went to college for the three years I took took a break from chess I was playing some tournaments but I was not studying at all and of course uh, chess is a skill that you need to train every single day to get better and if you don't you just get worse so right. when very unprepared. I was very unprepared for my first year's championship, and I f finished second. I didn't lose a single game. It was the push I needed to drop out of school, realize that I can still do this, I can come back and uh, still be a professional. Now, when you are when you have periods where you're not playing as much chess, is it like, is it like an emotional swing for you or just more of a practical decision i'm just curious because i know that i feel like some chess players um and i have a poker background and this is true in poker as well have like a, a love-hate relationship with the game where <laughs> where they they're consumed by it for a while and then they're repelled by it for a while so i'm just curious if that was the case for you or if it was more just a practical decision i definitely have had that relationship with chess where I would love it, and then after a horrible tournament, I would just hate it and would want, want to quit forever, many times. But eventually, I would still come back because I love the game. Uh, I think when I was younger, that was definitely the case. After bad tournaments, I would take a break just to forget about it. But now I don't play often because I actually still can get used to this tournament formats in the U.S. where you have to play two serious games a day. Yeah, you're I, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was used to playing one game a day in Europe with even one free day during the tournament in between. It was wonderful, and I'm still getting used to that here. So I try to play tournaments where at least some of the games are one game a day, and there are not many tournaments like that in the U.S., does that make you inclined to travel more to play or to think about living in Europe or uh, just to play no, less? No, I just, I just think that before I, I believed that playing a lot was very important. And I think at that 
at the time it was. But right now, I think studying more and working on chess is more important and playing few tournaments a year, big ones like the important ones, rather than traveling every weekend or every week and playing random tournaments. I mean, it depends from chess player to chess player. For me personally, working on chess, uh, I think I learn much more from than playing a tournament. Okay, that makes sense. Um, let's move forward to your actual second U.S. championship. So you were done with school. Uh, you did well in your first U.S. championship. How, um, how were you spending your time leading up to the second U.S. championship? Were you still living in Baltimore? Um, or did you move once you dropped out of school? Uh, my husband and I moved to Frederick, which is close to Baltimore. Uh, that's where that's where my husband worked. So since I didn't have to stay in Baltimore anymore, it was uh, the right decision to move to Frederick. And I changed my lifestyle completely after college. I had much less stress and much more free time. So I just transformed my life completely. Uh, started living very healthy, eating uh, very healthy, working out every day, studying chess. And also studying on my own uh, because eventually my husband and I both want to start our own business. And that's what we're working on any any second that we have free. Are you ready to reveal any of the details of this <laughs> business? And no, not yet. Okay. You'll have to, to keep us posted. Um, so take a, tell us about the experience. I watched your chess.com videos um, covering the U.S. championship, so I know a little bit about the experience, but why don't you just um, tell us about uh, the round-by-round -round drama and how it felt to have such an amazing uh, accomplishment. Um, I have to say that that U.S. championship was by far the best tournament of my life, and not only because I won it, but everything, including the emotions and the games, just everything together was really memorable so of course my goal was to win the tournament but I think no one else assumed that I could win the tournament I think I was still considered as an underdog and I think only people who believed I could do this was me and my husband <laughs> but uh, I think I started um, I started well but when I saw the pairings, I knew that I had to play Arena Crush in the last round with black pieces. That was unpleasant. Uh, I thought that I had to be like point ahead before the last round, point ahead everyone else. So in the last round, if, even if I lost, I could still win or finish second. But of course, in the thinking ahead like that in the tournament never works. You have to go game game by game, day by day. And I was just preparing a lot right before the round. Uh, I would wake up early and prepare for many hours. But unfortunately for me, I didn't guess many openings and I didn't have any success in the openings, actually. Um, but I think I played very well in the middle games and outplayed most of my opponents. And I have to give credit to Boris Gelfand's book. I think, I think it's called Positional Thinking. That's one book I read. Uh, before the tournament, and I think it changed my view of uh, chess game. <laughs> it really helped me a lot. After I read that book, I was inspired to play 
positionally. I'm more known to be a tactical player and dynamic player. And that book really changed uh, my preference. And in every game, I was trying to get positional play. And it worked very well. Um, but it seemed like I was not going to win because my friend Tatsav Abrahamian was doing extremely well. She was, I think, half point ahead almost the whole tournament. And she also got lucky against Anna Zatonskir when Anna just blundered a queen on move 10 or 12. And that doesn't happen very often. So to me, it seemed like uh, after that game that everything was going in Tatev's way and this was her tournament. And I actually got very discouraged uh, after that. Going to the last round, she was half a point ahead of me and she was playing a young girl, a weaker opponent, and I had to face Irina Crush with black pieces. And it just seemed like, okay, this was just not my tournament. Because to win a tournament, no matter how well you do, you still need the luck on your side. And it seemed to be on Tatev's side. And I was happy for her, but I was disappointed for myself. And then <laughs> going into the last round, I really did not believe for a second that I had a chance to win the championship. Because everything had to go my way. I had to win with black pieces and Tadev had to lose against a younger girl. Uh, I can't pronounce her name correctly, but Eswaran Astritha, I think. So, I, I didn't even prepare for the game, to be honest. Because Irina plays so many openings. It was just... At that point, I was... Uh, it was more important to be psychologically prepared than chess-wise. I just wanted to get a game, and then uh, I was ready to go all in, because I had to win no matter what. I had second place guaranteed, so I could lose the game and still finish second. So it didn't matter if I lost, really. And she chose an opening that was uh, very positional, knight f3, g3, and I was disappointed when I saw the opening. I was like, okay, this... It's very equal. It would be very hard to create any chances for me with black pieces. And then somehow I managed to open up position and complicate everything. And I was really into the game. I, at, at the moment, I completely forgot what was on, on, on stake, that I could win US Championship if I won the game. I was just so into the game. And, um, yeah, I was not even looking at Tatev's board but apparently she got worse from in the opening and her opponent played a brilliant game and beat her. And when I saw the result, that affected me. But at that point, my position was already much better, close to winning. So all I had to do was just calm down and not think about the result and just finish my game. And I managed to do that. And after she resigned, I had this huge relief I can't even explain how it, amazing it felt. And uh, it took me a while to comprehend that I was new U.S. Women's Champion. Understandably, it's a, it's an incredible accomplishment. Um, I really enjoyed your, your video recapping the game with Irina. Uh, I recommend it to, to anyone who is a Chess.com member. Um, and as you just mentioned, my favorite part was your talking about the emotions because I feel like... Uh, I mean. Obviously, the game was a really interesting, dynamic game, um, but stuff like that is what other chess players c 
could never experience. And I know Jan mm-hmm. Gustafsson, um, previous guest, was saying that that's what he thinks people underrate in terms of uh, evaluating players mm-hmm. at the top levels, uh, who has basically more consistent mental toughness. Um, so is that something you're going to work on? I mean, obviously, you came out well from this, so I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. not saying that uh, you need to work on it, but just out of curiosity, is that uh, an emphasis in your training now? Actually, funny story. So that experience where I needed to win the last round was not my first time. And I think being experienced in that situation is what helped me and what kept me calm during that year's championship. So a few years back, I was playing Russian championship in 2010, I think. And I was I was young and I was playing a really strong field, Olympic uh, champions. And I had a fantastic tournament. I think by, by rating, I was number 10 out of 12 people. And I was winning. So in the last round with white pieces, I need a win against last seed in the tournament. And I become Russian champion. And I, I was just so not ready for that psychologically and emotionally. I completely collapsed. I got checkmated in 25 moves with white pieces, which has never happened to me. And I learned a lot from that. That was so devastating. I, I, I did quit ch- chess after that for three months because that was a most stressful event in my life. And I think uh, I learned then that how important this mental toughness is in chess because that was the only explanation why I lost that game and didn't win the championship so did you adjust your training based on that did you read any books or hire a coach or was it just a a matter of increased awareness Um, it was mostly increased awareness and I was always fascinated by psychology so I learned a lot about how mind works and about sports psychology. I read many books and they absolutely helped. And for this tournament, for the US Championship, when similar situation happened, I was already prepared for it. And, uh, and I knew that in the last round, the mental toughness mattered more than anything else. Yeah, and we're as we record this, this uh, won't be released immediately, but the... Um, the Carlson match just concluded, and I read an interview where he, which is surprising because he's known for his mental toughness, but he felt like that was the weakness of his play. What was your overall impression of, of that match? I was very excited to watch the whole match. Of course, there were some so-called boring games, but I still enjoy, enjoyed every part of it. And I was fascinated by the tie breaks, how... Well, first of all, in the classical games, Magnus lost first. Uh, when he lost the first time with white pieces, it, it, he was obviously de- devastated. And he still came back and won a game. That I didn't have a doubt that he would do. He's world champion, and uh, he didn't get there by just being good at chess. He's good at coming back and bouncing back. But in, in the tie breaks, when he missed, uh, he missed the win in the second game, where he's completely winning with white pieces and Karyakin miraculously defends everything and draws, I thought after that, Sergei had a huge advantage psychologically 
And I really thought Carlson could not come back from that. And that's when he showed the mental toughness in the next round, the third round with black pieces, that it seemed like he completely forgot what happened in the last round. And he just played like he normally would, without any emotions, and he beat Sergei with black. Yeah, I wonder if the fast time control helped him, because he didn't really have time to to um, <laughs> regret his previous uh, missed opportunity. Yeah, actually, he didn't even have time to take a break. I think the game started like five minutes after the last round. Yeah, that's intense. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned the Gelfand book. Uh, Greg Shahadi also speaks highly of that book. Do you have any other... Uh, well, I have a couple questions based on that. One is, um, do you have any other uh, books that have been as f- formative for you? And the other is, do you feel like that is something the lessons you took from that continued impact your chess style or was it something that was fresh in your mind and had just more of a short-term effect um, in the U.S. championship? Uh, Gelfand's Positional Thinking is really a book that every professional chess player should read and I even went back and read a second time after the U.S. championship because I don't want it to be short-term. I want to learn from it and always use it in my career. Um he really teaches how to not not just how to play positionally, but how to think positionally, when to make positional decisions, and it's really fantastic. And there are many other great chess books, of course, that I always um, go back to. One of them that comes to mind is um, Tvoretsky's Endgame Manual. I love that book, and Endgames, no matter how well you know them, you keep to. It just happens that you forget them theoretical endgame so you have to go back and always refresh your memory so that's one book that I always have with me at the tournaments and I also of course learned a lot from uh, Jacob Agard's books all of his I think four or five different books those are the ones that immediately come to mind yeah those those seem to be the ones that are mentioned most frequently so uh, I mean I think Mm -hmm. that's good that People, people can't say they don't know what to study, <laughs> myself included. Um, so, moving forward from the U.S. Championship, your next big event was the Olympiad. Is that correct? Yes. So after U.S. Championship, I I didn't play any tournament until Olympiad for four months. Yes. And how was your experience at the Olympiad? Oh, it was amazing. Uh, playing for the U.S. Uh, women's team we had such a good relationship with all the team members and captain and coach Yasser Sarawan and Robert Hess it was a really wonderful experience and we played very well we missed a medal by half point we're very close and actually we're the only team in the tournament who played all the strong teams by rating we had very tough pairings and I just loved how when one of us would lose, uh, the team players would just be there for us and encourage us and help us get over it. It's a really good team spirit, and I just loved it. I can't wait for the next one. Yeah, it's impressive because you guys. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would categorize you as rivals, but you're certainly playing for a lot of money every U.S. Championship. So it's good that you're able to to band together. Um, yeah, I think we are rivals at the U.S. Championship, but 
when we played as a team, yes, I was actually, I have played for many different teams, whether it was for the league, for national tournaments, but I've never had such a good dynamic as I had with the U.S. women's team. Thanks. Okay, so I think we're basically up to the the modern age. We've gone through your whole chess career. So <laughs> what are you up to? What, what are your plans going forward? Uh, well, right now, I just played um, GM Invitational Tournament in St. Louis. I'm just trying to get back in form, uh, play some tournaments. I'll be playing North American Open in Las Vegas uh, this at, at the end of this month. And then I'll be preparing for the U.S. Championship, which is going to be probably in April again. So do you spend months like preparing for that? For the U.S. Championship, yes. I spend about three months preparing every day for it. Wow. And in terms of your career, uh, do you do any teaching or any other chess-related things, or are you just focused on playing right now? Yes, I'm a part-time chess teacher. I teach online mostly. Uh, and sometimes I teach at the Las Vegas Chess Club. And How I enjoy that very much. Uh, I just, I think I'm a born teacher. I love teaching. It's um, very satisfying to me. Uh, how did you end up in Las Vegas? Uh, we moved again uh, because of my husband's work. And uh, we both loved Vegas. We got married here. So we're, we're very happy about this move, and we can't imagine moving anywhere else right now. We, we really love it here. And is he, uh, does he play chess at all? Uh, he knows how to play chess, but uh, no, he's not a professional Okay. by any means. And what is the, uh, I, I didn't even know there was a chess club in Las Vegas, although I guess it's not a big surprise. Um, what is the chess scene like there? Uh, it's a small club, but... Uh, Anytime I go there, there are always kids and some adults playing tournaments or blitz and uh, having lessons. It, it's really nice and pleasant. Uh, I hope that one day there's a bigger chess club here with a lot more people. But I think it's a good start. Okay. Um, and my wife and I are fans of uh, Georgian food. I don't know if you lean, having lived in both Georgia and Russia, I don't know if you lean towards a certain cuisine, but have you found anything that... Reminds me, reminds you of uh, back home uh, out in Vegas. <laughs> uh, there are many Russian restaurants here and Eastern Europeans that have Georgian food on the menu, but I myself am not a big fan of Georgian food, so it's not a big deal for me. Although when I lived in Georgia, I did love it, and um, when I first moved to Russia, I, I missed it a lot. But now I, I just. Um, I learned, I studied nutrition, and I care more about my health than taste of the food. <laughs> now you're making me feel guilty. <laughs> I was going to say, now uh, I guess you hachapuri is not exactly a health food, although it is, it is delicious. Not really. <laughs> yeah, it is delicious. Okay, well, I really appreciate your time. I don't know if you have anything else you would like to, to touch on, but um, I can't think of any more questions. Yeah, I think we've covered my whole life. Um, but I'm just happy that there is a podcast about chess, and I'll I'll be happy to listen to other chess players and their stories. Yeah, um, as I mentioned to you in an email, this is just something I've been waiting and waiting for someone to do, and I'm pretty busy. Um, mm -hmm. But these are questions that I like to hear answered, so 
hopefully um, we can keep it going for a while. Um, if people want to reach you, uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, they can go on my website, nazipaykisi.com, and I have a contact page where they can uh, send me an email directly from the website or just uh, from their personal email. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Nazi. Uh, good, good luck uh, in the next U.S. Championship and other endeavors. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.